You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Well, I worked on finishing up this message at that time. Uh, I like taking time, especially when I first get there in the morning, to read my Bible, pray. And uh, after I got all that done, I was watching TV, and there was this commercial they had on a couple times. I don't know if any of you have seen it, but apparently this dad is asked by his daughter uh, about when was Pompeii destroyed. And so the dad's there, and the volcano's going off, and the lava's going everywhere, and the city's falling apart, and he asks this man, who's trying to run out of the city, what year is this? And the gentleman says, it's 79 A.D. Uh, They didn't count things that way at that time, folks. And then the daughter asked, well, what was the name of the mountain? And he has to go to Alexa to find the answer. And it says Vesuvius. But I want to talk this evening about 3,000 years of Bible prophecy. I'm sorry, I don't have the whole 7,000. I'm not that old. Although I've been accused of being 6,000 years old. But anyway... Just to give you an idea, do you realize there are an awful lot of different calendars in use today? And there have been throughout the world. Does anybody know what calendar we normally use for dating years? Very good. I thought I'd do a little research on the good old friendly internet. From the French Revolution, we are in year 229. According to the Iranian calendar, we are in year 1399. According to the Islamic calendar, we're in year 1442. According to the Hindu calendar, we're in 1942. The Buddhist calendar would label us in 2563, the Babylonian calendar in 2647, the Julian, which was the one used before the Gregorian, we're in 2774, the Chinese calendar is 4719, the Mayan calendar is 5135, The Hebrew calendar is 5781. That's probably the closest to what is actually. The Assyrians say that we've been around, this is the year 6770. I think that's a little too long. But we are in the Gregorian calendar. And do you know who it was named for? It was Pope Gregory Thirteenth. Yes, the Roman Catholic Church has their fingers in a lot of stuff. And he introduced that in 1582. That was 439 years ago if my brain is functioning. We've only been using this for that long and trying to date things with all these different calendars and It gets a bit confusing. Well, I'm going to be throwing out some dates of what I believe is about as close as we can get. And we're going to be turning pages and books in our Bibles. And if you're taking notes, I'll try not to go too fast. But open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40. 
I'm going to read verse 3. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. The voice of him that cried, crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. When we look at Bible prophecy, and there are many different people from many different traditions and uh, basic theological systems, and they all come with their own built-in interesting little aberrations at times. But if you want to study Bible prophecy the way God wants you to do it, you have to use the Bible as your textbook. You can start if you want. We're not going to go through it all tonight by any stretch. But if you look in the Old Testament for Bible prophecies that were fulfilled in the Old Testament, they're all literal. Then there's Bible prophecies from the Old Testament fulfilled in the New They're all literal. Let's turn to Luke chapter 1. The Gospel of Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. I'm going to read a few verses starting in verse 22. This is about Zacharias. Zacharias. Luke 1.22, And when he came out, he could not speak unto them, and they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned unto them and remained speechless. He couldn't talk. And it came to pass that as soon as the days of his ministration were accomplished, he departed to his own house. And after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and hid herself five months. Isaiah 43 is a prophecy of John the Baptist. Isaiah was alive somewhere around four or uh, 700 AD or 700 BC, excuse me. This happened, I believe, in about 4 BC. Zacharias and Elizabeth are the parents of John the Baptist. So we see an Old Testament prophecy fulfilled in the New. The next one I want to look at is Isaiah 7.14. Isaiah 7.14. I'm not going to go through both in all of these references. Isaiah 7.14. Therefore... The Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. How many times have you ever read that? Did you stop and realize that it says a virgin will conceive and bear a son? Mary, Jesus' mother, was still a virgin until after Jesus was born. And then we could look in Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. Verse 20, we'll start. But while he thought on these things, this is talking about Joseph, Mary's husband. They were espoused. Many people consider espousal in the Bible just like an engagement today. I met Donna in June of 71. We got engaged, if I remember correctly, in August of 72. I told her to pick out the ring. Do I always do things the right way? No. But anyway, 
And then we got married in June of 73. But here, Joseph is her husband. His spousal, back in the times of the New Testament, Bible times, the couple was considered legally married. They were husband and wife. But they hadn't consummated the marriage yet. If you read that passage, you'll find that uh, Joseph, for a while, uh, it says, But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Old Testament Bible prophecy, New Testament fulfillment, literal. Too many people take Old Testament literal prophecies or New Testament, and then all of a sudden they spiritualize them, and it doesn't mean nothing. But God's given us the prophecy and the fulfillment hundreds and hundreds of times in the Bible. They're all literal. In Micah 5 2, I'm not going to turn there, but Jesus' birth location is foretold. Bethlehem Ephrata in the land of Judah. There was more than one Bethlehem in Israel at that time, but Bethlehem Ephrata in the land of Judah specifies exactly which one it is. Luke chapter 2 verse 4, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. A literal, exact fulfillment. Jesus growing up years, Isaiah 53, 2, it says he shall grow up as a tender plant. And Luke chapter 2, verses 41 through 50, we read about Jesus in the temple when he was confounding the doctors of the law and uh, scribes and Pharisees probably and some other people. He was only 12 years old. That's generally pretty tender age. In Exodus chapter 17 and verse 2, we're told not to tempt the Lord. And in Matthew 4.11, Jesus is tempted in the wilderness three times by, well, guess who? Satan, Lucifer. And Jesus rebukes him for trying to tempt the Lord. Satan, Lucifer, knew exactly who he was dealing with. And Jesus used a verse from the Old Testament to remind him, you're not supposed to do that. Later on in Jesus' life, Zechariah 9.9 talks about his mode of transportation on the day that he enters Jerusalem in what is called his triumphal entry. The churches that I grew up in, Presbyterian, Methodist, Lutheran, the churches or church that Donna grew up in, Roman Catholic, have what they call Palm Sunday. That's coming up the end of this month. I prefer to call it Jesus' triumphal entry. Isaiah chapter 53, verses 2 through 6. Jesus' crucifixion is described in detail. If you haven't read that passage, I would suggest you read all of Isaiah 53 sometime before Easter, which is coming up the first Sunday in April. If you ever have the opportunity to talk to somebody of the Jewish faith, And if you can get a good discussion going, I would suggest that uh, when you feel as though maybe you're near the end of the discussion, depending on how they react, 
You might ask them what they think of Isaiah 53, and most of them will get mad and storm or out or call you all kinds of names. They do not understand and want to. They probably, if you're talking to a Jew, they know where you're headed with that. They just do not want to think about it. That will probably be the end of your discussion. Isaiah 53.9 talks about Jesus in being buried in a borrowed tomb. The fulfillment, John 19, verses 38 through 42. All of those, I believe, around, well, his triumphal entry, his crucifixion, his being buried, I believe that they were in 30 A.D. Uh, Jesus' resurrection is found in John chapter 20, verse 1. You can look in Job 19, 25. I know that my Redeemer liveth, and in the latter days shall stand upon the earth. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7 are also uh, Old Testament prophecies related to that. Judas betrayed Jesus as referred to in Psalm 41, 9. And the fulfillment was in Matthew 27, verses 3 through 5. Judas' replacement was foretold. Whoops, I forgot to put it in my note here. Sorry. But it's fulfilled in Acts chapter 1, verses 15 through 26. Matthias was chosen And it says that he was numbered with the eleven. He was the twelfth apostle. Many people call Paul the twelfth apostle. I have a confession. I did for a while too. But I believe if you look at Acts chapter 1, those verses, Matthias is the twelfth apostle. Because it had to be somebody who accompanied with Jesus during his public ministry. Then if you go to Exodus chapter 34, 22, I'm going to turn there. Exodus 34, 22. I'll give you some other references that refer to the same thing. Exodus 34:22 and thou shalt observe the feast of weeks of the first fruits of wheat harvest and the feast of ingathering at the year's end. That was one of the three major feasts in the Jewish calendar. Passover was first, feast of weeks was second. And then Rosh Hashanah in the fall. But the Feast of Weeks referred to in Exodus 34.22, Leviticus 23.15 and 16, and Deuteronomy 16.9. It's referred to as the Feast of Weeks because it was seven weeks after Passover and one day. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. In the New Testament, the Feast of Weeks is referred to as Pentecost. Pente meaning 50. All of that happened, I believe, in 30 AD. Now we're going to get to some future ones. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. One time I had these verses memorized. I don't think I could do it again. Starting in verse 13. 1 Thessalonians 4.13 But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not even as others which have. No hope. 
For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. Here, sleep is referred to as one way of describing the death of a believer, a born-again believer. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. That is commonly referred to as the rapture. When will that be? I don't know. I got saved when I was 28. I got out of seminary. I was in my later 30s. I was hoping the Lord was going to come back before I hit 40. Well, I'm past 70 now, so still here. I don't think I missed the rapture. But that leads me to ask a question. It says in there some of the words I read which have no hope. Are you saved? Have you been born again? Has the Lord Jesus Christ's blood washed you of all your sins? Are you a born again believer? Do you have a no-so salvation or a hope-so salvation? I grew up in churches with a hope-so salvation. I hope I'll make it to heaven. But the Bible says we can know. You can look up 1 John 5.13. It says that you can know so. Do you have a no-so salvation today? When will the rapture come? I don't know. I believe that we're getting close to 6,000 years since creation. And I'll be talking a little more of this in a few minutes. But there's going to be a thousand year millennial reign of the Lord Jesus Christ sitting on David's throne in the temple in Jerusalem, Israel. That adds up to 7,000 years. How close we are, I don't know. But what if the rapture came today? Are you prayed up, paid up, packed up, and ready to go? It's one of the most important questions you can ask anybody in life. Do you have a no-so salvation? All of the believers at that time, it doesn't make any difference if you're a Baptist, a Presbyterian, a Methodist, a Lutheran. Donna lost her mom last May on Mother's Day. We believe Eleanor was saved. She was a Roman Catholic all her life. But Donna and I both believe that we will get to see her mom when we get to glory. And Donna goes, Amen. She would have done better off to go after she got saved to be in a Baptist church, but God knows the hearts. What happens after the rapture for the believers? 2 Corinthians 5.10 2 Corinthians 5.10 Paul writes to the church at Corinth, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. 
Are we going to get punished? Do we have to go to purgatory? No, that's a Catholic doctrine which has no foundation in the 66 books of our good old trusty King James Bibles. But we will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Jesus is going to be doing the judging and it will be a complete, honest, official, legal judgment. What about the things that we do bad? It's just lack of rewards. Now let's turn back to the Old Testament, to the book of Daniel. One of my favorite passages. Daniel chapter 9. I'll start in verse 24. Daniel 9, 24. Seventy weeks. Now those are not seven-day weeks. Those are 70 weeks of seven years. A total of 490 years. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people, Daniel's people, Israel, the Jews, and upon thy holy city, Jerusalem, to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliations for iniquity. Who did that? Lord Jesus Christ. And to bring in everlasting righteousness, and to seal up the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the Prince, shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. Seven weeks would be 49 years, threescore and two weeks would be 62 weeks. Okay, I can't come up with that answer in my head right away. The street shall be built again and the wall. What has Pastor been talking about lately and Nehemiah building the wall, right? Even in troublous times, and after three score and two weeks, that sixty-nine weeks into it shall Messiah be cut off. Jesus is the Messiah. I believe that the seven weeks and the sixty-two weeks ended the day Jesus entered Jerusalem in his triumphal entry. But not for himself. He was dying for you and for me. And the people of the prince that shall come, the prince that shall come is the Antichrist, shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. That was done in 70 AD. And the end thereof shall be with a flood, and unto the end of the war desolations are determined. And he, that's the prince that shall come, shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. That's Daniel's 70th week. We call that the tribulation. That's seven years. And in the midst of the week, halfway through, three and a half years, he shall cause the sacrifice and oblation to cease. There will be a rebuilt temple in Jerusalem on the mount. It isn't there yet. I understand Israel is preparing to build it. And for the overspreading of abomination, she shall, he shall make it desolate. That's in the middle. Three and a half years. Even until the consummation and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. The Antichrist will lose. Big. Along with the false prophet. As I understand scripture, they are the only two human beings that wind up in the lake of fire on a one-way ticket. Everybody else goes through hell first that dies. But they get a one-way ticket straight to the lake of fire. Daniel 9 is a very important scripture in relation to the seven-year tribulation. 1 John 2.18 talks about the Antichrist and the false prophet are revealed 
You can find that in Revelation chapter 13, verses 3, 12, and 14. Let's go over to Revelation chapter 7. Revelation chapter 7. Beginning in verse 3, Revelation chapter 7, verse 3. There's an angel, and he says, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. And I heard the number of them which were sealed, and they were sealed a hundred and forty and four thousand of all the tribes of the children of Israel. Very, very clear as to who this is. This is talking about Jewish people. In my background, family background, we have strong Jehovah's Witnesses ties. And originally, when the man who started what is now Jehovah's Witnesses taught that those 144,000 were going to be the first 144,000 Jehovah's Witnesses, Two of which I'm related to. My dad's dad and my dad's mom. I never knew my, either of my grandfathers. They died before I was born. I do remember my grandmother, though. And she was told she would be one of the, origi- one of the 144,000 because she was one of the original 144,000 Jehovah's Witnesses. They changed that after Judge Rutherford got a hold of the organization because they had more than 144,000 people. But this is 144,000 Jewish witnesses, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. Did you know that there are three different lists of the 12 tribes of Israel in Scripture? There's the 12 sons of Jacob. There's the 12 tribes that went in to take the land. The list is different. People go, wow, why? Because the Levites were not given any land in a tribal area. And the two sons of Joseph replaced Joseph and Levi. And the third list is here in Revelation chapter 7. So we got 144,000 Jewish witnesses. They begin sometime in the first half of the tribulation, the first three and a half years or 42 months. You need to remember that a Jewish month is always 30 days. They have 360 days in a Jewish year. So we have them starting their ministry sometime during the first half of the tribulation. If you are a born-again believer, if you see it, you will be in heaven looking down on the earth. You won't be here. People sometimes think that it's really bad now here on planet earth. They ain't seen nothing yet. The first half of the Tribulation is going to be untold pain, agony, and death. Millions, possibly billions of people will die in the first three and a half years. Let's go to Revelation chapter 11. Revelation chapter 11, beginning in verse 3. John is seeing all these things in heaven, told what to do. And then we read beginning in verse 3, And I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand, two hundred and three score days. That's 1260 days, 42 months, three and a half years. Clothed in sackcloth, these are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks, Standing before the God of the earth, if any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth and devoureth their enemies. Have you ever felt like you'd want to be one of the 
two witnesses because you had somebody you'd like to do that to? Anyway, and if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. Who these two witnesses are, a lot of people say there's only two people in the Bible in world history that never died. The first was Enoch in the book of Genesis, and the second one was Elijah, and he wound up uh, ending his ministry, taken away in a flaming chariot fire. I don't know who the two witnesses are, but it'll be obvious in the tribulation once they start. A lot of people put the two witnesses in the last half the tribulation. They probably have a good chunk of their ministry in the last half, but they have to start before the middle because they have exactly three and a half years public ministry. They are killed. Some say fulfilling that it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this to judgment. Their bodies lay in the street of Jerusalem for three days, and then they are caught up to heaven. And that has to be before the second coming. Will they meet us in heaven? Probably. So the two witnesses begin their ministry on the earth. Matthew chapter 24, verses 15 through 21, the abomination of desolation is set up in the temple. Daniel talked about that. It's also in the book of Matthew. That's when the Antichrist sets himself up as God on David's throne and Most people believe he will desecrate the altar by killing a pig on it. Jeremiah 30, verse 7, the middle of the tribulation and the beginning of the time of Jacob's trouble. Remember in Daniel 9, the Antichrist was going to confirm a covenant with the Jewish nation for one week, seven years, He breaks it in the middle. So anyway, the first half of the tribulation is going to be primarily focused on the Gentiles. The last half of the tribulation will be focused primarily on the nation of Israel and the Jews. The time of Jacob's trouble, it's going to be worse than anything Israel has and the Jews have ever experienced even Adolf Hitler in World War II. Revelation chapter 16, verses 16 through 21, the Battle of Armageddon. It's going to be so bad that the blood, it says, runs as high as horses' bridles. How high is that? What? Four, five, maybe six feet of blood? Can you imagine trying to walk through that? Trying to move? Trying to get anything done? That will happen in the Valley of Megiddo. In Israel, it is a huge area. Let's turn over to Revelation chapter 19 for a minute. i got a few things to say about this chapter. I was taught from the pastor under whose ministry I was saved. Pastor Veneman went to Baptist Bible College, Springfield, Missouri, and he taught me, just as I was taught at Central Seminary in Minneapolis, the marriage supper of the Lamb is after the judgment seat of Christ, after we get to heaven. But I have a question. Let's read... Revelation 19, verses 7 through 9. We read, Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb, Jesus Christ, is come, and his wife hath made herself ready, the bride, and to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints, 
And he, the person talking to John, the apostle, saith unto me, Right, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. The marriage supper happens after the judgment seat of Christ in heaven. Why is this here in chapter 19? Guess what happens when you get to the next verse? Verse 11, And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. This isn't the first white horse in Revelation. And he that sat upon him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. Who is that? Jesus Christ, of course. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. Something to think about. Have you ever asked yourself the question, what blood was that? I've asked that question to many people, and the most common answer I have ever got was, well, that's the blood of all the saints, the martyrs, the people that died for Jesus. Have you ever thought about the possibility maybe that's Jesus' own blood that's been in heaven? And his name is called the Word of God and the armies which were in heaven. If you're saved today, did you know that someday you're going to be part of Jesus' literal army? Followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. That's you and me. And if you like horses, you'll get a chance to have a great ride. You don't have to worry about getting thrown. So Jesus comes back in his second coming. What happens after that? Matthew chapter 25, 31 through 46, what is called the sheep and goats judgment that happens here on earth after Armageddon is all settled, everything is cleaned up. The sheep and goats judgment are for those people who survived through the seven-year tribulation. There's a verse that frequently gets ripped out of context, very commonly. He that endureth to the end shall be saved. What is that referred to, I believe? Israel. The Jews that live through the seven-year tribulation will get to be part of the sheep, plus any Gentiles that are saved and made it through the tribulation will be part of the sheep. Jesus will put them on his right hand. So, I'm not Jesus. This isn't his throne. But it would be, if it was here at Eastside, it would be these people. These people would be the goats. Sorry, folks. That's also where I sit, but that's beside the point. But the sheep and goats judgment is a one-time judgment, and it's just for people who survived the seven-year tribulation. Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 3 And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having a key at a bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. He winds up getting bound in a special place, the pit. Verses 7 through 9 of that chapter is mankind's final rebellion under Satan. And that is the people that have not accepted God and God's rule and Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter 20 verses 11 through 15 is what's called the great white throne. Who's there? All the unsaved from hell is cleaned out. All the people that were under Satan in the last rebellion after the thousand-year millennial reign of Christ are at the great white throne. 
I believe that all of the saved people that lived through the millennium are there as well. So they'll be saved and unsaved. The great bulk of the people will be unsaved. And then Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 and 2. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea. So if you're a sailor, you're out of luck. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them, and be their God. Eternity future. Who will be there? Everybody that got saved in the Old Testament. Everybody that got saved in the New Testament. Everybody that got saved during the Tribulation. Everybody that got saved during the thousand year millennial reign of Christ. They get to go to the new heaven, the new earth, and the new Jerusalem. Whew! We just covered 3,000 years of Bible prophecy. So where do you stand in all this? There's a lot of people. One of the jobs I have is I clean Farmer State Bank in Canton five mornings a week. And I see people with Bible verses in their offices. They have crosses. Are they all saved? I don't know. I'm hoping I can get a chance sometime to talk to them one-on-one. What about your friends, your neighbors, your enemies, your family? Well, maybe they're enemies too. When was the last time you told somebody what Jesus has done for you? Your testimony, you may not have every Bible verse in, you know, every verse in the Bible memorized to be able to quote it. I don't think I've ever run into anybody that has the whole Bible memorized. But you can always give them your testimony and tell them what Jesus has done for you. Think about it. That's what's going to happen. All the Bible prophecy, Old Testament fulfilled in the Old, Old Testament fulfilled in the New, New Testament fulfilled in the New, New Testament to be filled in the future. It's all literal. It will happen exactly as Scripture says. I've run into people that said, oh, that thousand years, that's just a time between Christ's death and now. We're in the millennium. Everything is going to be so nice. Uh, They woke up in the morning and They probably didn't feel too good. How do you explain that? But, you know, God says what he means and God means what he says. When was the last time you told somebody else what God had done for you? And what he can in the future? Sometimes looking around life Things are not as good as they were when I was a kid back in the 50s and 60s. When the 60s were very turbulent. I saw some of that firsthand. But we all can tell somebody because you may be the only Christian that will reach some people. Another Christian will never reach them. We get a lot of people here at Eastside. What, 200 folks? Ballpark? And everybody here knows somebody that I don't know. I know people that none of you know. 
So how are we going to live our lives? As I've said frequently before, God's been mighty good to this old boy. It's my job to tell others about it. Has he been good to you? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to be here. We thank you that uh, we've been able to meet here as a local church since Mother's Day of 2020. Pray for Pastor Jet as he's down in Oklahoma. I understand he's going to be getting to Wisconsin later on this week. Pray for safety, pray for wisdom, and pray for power as he speaks. Pray you'd bring us all back on Sunday morning for Sunday school that we can be ready to hear, learn, and apply your word in each of our lives. There is so much, Lord, in your word. No matter how many times we read it, we can always find something that we missed. Maybe it was just a word. But we know that we can trust our King James Bibles. Because everything that's in them, you've put there for a reason. We thank you for loving us, for saving us, and giving us a future home in heaven where we won't have to deal with uh, some of those minor little aggravations of our lives now. But Lord, you watched over and kept us safe to this point. We pray you'd continue to work in our lives and through us in the lives of others. And we pray in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.